No mind, Heidi Mai, Kite Hotaka. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. The malaise of mediocrity is going to end, says National Party leader Christopher Luxon, announcing his education policy today. An hour a day on reading, on writing, on maths. Standardised twice a year testing of the basics. That just after four. Also, mega EV charging hubs along our state highway network, similar to petrol service stations. That's the government plan. We talk about that today. And do you ask your child if you can post a photo? Should New Zealand follow suit? In France, the government is considering limiting the amount of content parents can share about their kids online. Your thoughts on that most welcome. And an item in the New York Times today, one British woman in 10 years of research on scones. Jam first or cream first? Personally, I would walk over hot coals. I would listen to another radio station for, ooh, half a day. If I knew there'd be scones, cream and jam at the end of it, and we have an English person on the panel to tell us the answer, but (laughs) scones, scones people, your thoughts. Text me, 2-1- Zero one, And that English person is Verity Johnson. She's a columnist, co-owner of New Zealand's first cabaret club, Club Burlesque. Kia ora, Verity. Kia ora, Wallace. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. You are English, aren't you? I am English, oh. yes. <laughs> you had a nervous minute there when you were like, wait, yeah. hang on, is she? <laughs> yeah. All right. And also Connor English, director of Silver Eye, a communications and government relations firm and chairman of Agribusiness NZ. Kia ora, Connor. G'day, how are you? Very well, thank you very much. Well, to this, uh, is it time to reconsider the Wellington to Littleton Ferry? Younger listeners will go, what? But some listening might even have been on it. It stopped in 1976. Let me know. Delays and breakdowns have plagued the Wellington to Picton route for weeks now, upending travel and plans for many. In Europe, long-distance ferries they're back in fashion. There's a ferry service, for example, from the Netherlands to Norway. Numbers are booming. 24-hour crossings from Ireland and Britain to northern Spain. They've grown from freight to um, passenger routes. And the sinking of the Wahine was a little tin to Wellington ferry that sank in 1968. It was New Zealand's worst modern maritime disaster to discuss. We have Thomas Nash. He's the Greater Wellington Regional Councillor. Thomas, welcome. Hi. Hi, Wallace. So this was an 11-hour, 300-kilometre overnight trip. You arrive at 7. Do you think that there'll be demand for it? Well, I guess it depends what we're wanting to do. If we want to find alternatives to aviation for getting between cities, uh, then you do need to look at some of these uh, overnight services. And as you said in your introduction, overseas where people are moving away from short, um, cheap flights uh, because of uh, emissions. They are looking at these uh, sorts of overnight ferries and overnight train services. They're actually booming over there. So it it depends what we want to do. But over here, I think there there probably would be a market for it. Yes, once you start thinking about it, you start, well, you know, it's been done before. It's stopped in uh, uh, the mid-70s. I guess there is no practical reason why it couldn't come back. Yeah, I think that you probably would have to make some changes to the Littleton port and access in and out of that. Uh, but generally speaking, it seems like a, maybe a sensible idea to have an alternative if, say, the route between Wellington and Picton isn't, isn't working for whatever reason. It's good to have, from a resilience point of view, good to have another 
way to get um, coastal shipping and people and freight uh, on a boat between the North Island and the South Island. Oh, goodness, people are being on it as well. Christchurch to Wellington, sensational at night, a cosy cabin cabin, and cooked breakfast at 6am. So people, uh, Verity, do recall the Littleton to Wellington Ferry. It sounds so nostalgic and romantic. I'm imagining yeah. like murder on the Orient Express, but obviously like set in Littleton. So I imagine great things. The overnight ferry. Yeah, I'd like to go. I actually would like to try it. It's such a foreign concept. The yeah. idea of, I mean, I didn't even know that it stopped. I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know it had stopped. And I didn't know we were now considering it again until today. So I'd love to try it. What about you, Connor? Uh, yeah, well, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? It's, um, I guess it's, uh, what is it, 10 hours or something? I, I, to go on the normal ferry and then drive, it's not much less. And, I mean, we've been on the Blue Bridge where you've been able to go to sleep in cabins, and that's been pretty good, actually. You sort of wake up and you're there. So, um, yeah, it could, could work pretty well. But the mass guys have just pulled out of the coastal shipping thing in yes. the last week, so... I don't know what the economics of it would be. Well, that's what would have to be uh, found out, uh, Thomas. And I guess in terms of the infrastructure, I guess Wellington has uh, the infrastructure for it, but that would need to happen in Littleton also, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. I think, as I was saying, you'd have to do some upgrades um, to this roll-on, roll-off. Uh, at the at the Littleton side, and and I think it's probably worth saying the priority should definitely be getting that Cook Strait service um, back up and running uh, reliably and better. And we do have those new ferries on the way, um, and so we, I think that is definitely the priority for everyone. But we've got to be looking yeah. longer term if we want to get those emissions down and get people more options. Uh, and I think this is one that should be on the radar for sure. Uh, Carmel says, such fond memories of the Wellington to Littleton as an under 10, the bunks, the background noise lulling you to sleep, the wine biscuits and tea delivered by a steward to the door as a wake-up. This is murder on the Orient Express. <laughs> I told you. I love it. I yeah. want to bring it back luxury. And with family in Canterbury, so much easier. Loved it. I guess, uh, Thomas, some would be saying, uh, I'm not quite sure how uh, dangerous a route it is. The seas are fairly choppy, uh, fairly, uh, uh, well, it'd be dependent on weather, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a reverse route already for, for shipping. So it's the question of getting a, a good vessel. Uh, having it comfortable on board, but yeah, there's, there's no reason it, it would be rougher than, than the Cook Strait. One other thing I wanted to chuck in was, if you, one of the big trends in coastal shipping and, and, and marine at the moment is going zero emissions. If you, I think that's another big element of uh, You want to be trying to make sure you've got a very low emission vessel is going to make sure, as a, as a low emissions option for travel between the islands, uh, this is, is really hitting the mark on that front too. Okay, Thomas, thanks for that. That's Thomas Nash, Greater Wellington Regional Councillor uh, and someone who did go on the Littleton to Wellington ferry is with us now. Nikki, welcome to the panel. Hello. How are you? Thank you. Tell us your experience of uh, going on this uh, route. Oh, poor student going home to the husband's home in Wellington. So you got the train from Dunedin during the day and then you got the ferry at night and you had a little windowless cabin. You had a little windowless cabin? Mm-hmm, with a bed. Ceiling would turn into the roof and the roof would turn into the side and um, it was great. Did the, um, I just have a question, Nikki. Did the steward who dropped off the biscuits in the morning wear, like, starched white gloves? Do you remember I that? don't remember that. I don't remember that, but I'm pretty sure there was a 
compulsory cup of tea whether you wanted it or not in the cabin. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think do you think there might be a demand for it? Uh, no, so, uh, how, when 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 did it? Um, when did the ferry start? It arrived, I think, at the destination at 7am. So when did it start? Around 7pm in the evening, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just after tea. And um, it just went all night. And one time there was this oh, absolutely amazing storm. And that's the snow-capped kaikouras and front half of the boat, you know, burying itself in the waves. And oh, gosh. It was, it was just wonderful. It sounds so romantic. <laughs> it does not sound romantic. <laughs> we were sound- very young. We were yeah. very young. It does sound yeah. Do you think there's a case for it to come back? Uh, now we're getting a lot of response, those who went on the Wellington. Do you think there's a case for it to come back, Nikki? What's your own opinion? Oh, totally. As your correspondent said earlier, why would you want to drive all that way when you can go on a civilised boat? <laughs> Yeah, agreed. Very good, Nikki. Thanks for that. That's um, Nikki, who has been uh, on the ferry. In 1955, as a seven-year-old, our family of seven watched our old Studebaker hoisted onto the ferry in Littleton. A great experience. It didn't need to roll on, roll off, says KJ. Well, apparently, well, yes, they used the crane, but then the new ferries came in, Connor, and they just blew the competition away because you could just drive. drive on. Yeah, yeah, you could drive, just drive on, couldn't you? Mm. Um, another one here, well, there's many here. Uh, my father recalls travelling on the Wahine to Wellington and was disappointed as the portholes in the cabin were blacked out to fears of submarines in 1944. All right, very good. Thanks very much for your memories uh, on that. All right, time for... I've been thinking, oh, gosh, some wonderful memories coming through. Verity Johnson, what's your IBT? So something I've been thinking about a lot this week is how you probably have heard that the arts funding in Auckland is under some serious, serious threat right now. $35 million of cuts um, and proposed in the new budget. And oh, by the way, just jumping in as a side mm. note there, if uh, listeners haven't heard, uh, the Auckland Council is pulling out of uh, the local sector group, uh, local government NZ, LGNZ. So Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown has used his casting vote for the first time. So Auckland Council is pulling out of LGNZ. So uh, for those who aren't aren't familiar with that piece of news, continue. Good to know. I didn't know that. (laughs) Um, uh, But yeah, I was thinking about the arts because when 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 people have been discussing it, $35 million of cuts to the arts, people are like, oh, it's just the arts, it's fine. It's not, you know, like hospitals and kidney machines. And like, I have thought about that a lot because I understand that it's hard in this climate to make the case for the arts being as kind of like boots on the ground effective in society as, you know, like road funding or like going EV. But I think a lot of the time... COVID showed us that actually the value of the arts in teaching us how to live and the arts when they do right are supposed so? to be well for instance like I found myself reading philosophy for the first time during lockdown who um, Seneca so I started reading Seneca's letters because I was struggling with the sense of uh, just the sense that like, of chaos and not understanding how to live in a time when chaos was certainty and obviously like you know they were living in a time when upheavals and rebellions and death and plague was very much the norm and so stoicism developed this kind of philosophy for living with the certainty of chaos and death and kind of like Keats Keats poetry you know like died at 23 very romantic poetry basically said that there's nothing stable in life except death and chaos and good I, heavens but, so you got into poetry <laughs> and yeah poetry and philosophy it's purely because of COVID and I would never 
never have engaged in that sector of the arts if I hadn't needed art to hold a mirror to society to show me how to live. It doesn't cost a lot to do poetry, though, does it? No. I mean, Connor English is a poet, aren't you, Connor? <laughs> Connor, I'm expecting <laughs> great He's, things. You're, you're, oh, you're a right. poet, aren't you? Don't you do it for free, don't you? Uh, yeah, but I'm not quite in the a category of Keats. Well, you're not Keats. <laughs> no. no one's saying no. you're Keats. <laughs> but last um, time you had a poem about being in an airport departure lounge, yeah. and I'm waiting for part two, Connor. Oh, I'm yeah. here. Right. It was actually fantastic. <laughs> so, so what you're saying mm. is uh, don't relegate the arts when the uh, Auckland budget meeting happens. Yes, All and right. if you have a feeling about that, then submit your feedback on this budget right now. Do it now. Because the arts do matter at the moments in life when you need the most. It's poetry and philosophy and art that gets you through. What's Seneca like? Any good? Worth, worth reading? I really recommend it. Really. Like, he, he, despite the fact that we're talking 2,000 years old, this dude's old, but he is uh, very relevant. Very good. Uh, kia ora uh, for that, Diverti. Um, before you get into your IBT there, Connor, um, do you read about, are you, do you have a favourite poet? Who, me? Yeah. Uh, Richard Kipling. Is pretty oh, good. yeah. Quite yeah. like him. So, James um, K. Baxter. R- Richard, Richard Kipling? Yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, no. There's a few poets that are that are, that are quite good. So, uh, but I don't read a lot of poetry. I just like fiddling around with poetry myself. Just, Rudyard just, Kipling. Yeah, Rud. Yes, yes, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. Uh, very good. All right. Uh, oh, some wonderful responses about the uh, Wellington to Littleton ferry there. All right, I've been thinking, Connor. Uh, well, look, I've been um, thinking about water uh, and, and money because we've you know, seen plenty of it this year in, in New Zealand uh, coming out of the sky uh, in, in Auckland initially and then in the Bay of Plenty in Hawke's Bay, and it's been causing havoc. Uh, but at the same time, we've had pretty dry time down in the South Island. And so for us you know, as a country, it's not about having enough water. It's just having it in the right place at the right time. So I think it sort of, to me anyway, it's, it's, it's just a no-brainer to have more water storage. Um, so we can generate, you know, clean hydro for our growing fleet of EVs and growing plants and water, <laughs> and um, but importantly for for drinking, and not just for us Kiwis, because the thing that really got me thinking about this yesterday actually That's was what uh, they're trying to do. Well, trying yeah, to provide clean water, yeah, and everyone's up in arms. Yeah, well, the thing is that you know this UN water development report saying twenty five or twenty six percent or something of the world's population doesn't have access to safe drinking water. Yeah. We've got it here, um, but, you know, we're not selling it to the, the international markets. You know, we should be, not only should we be doing water storage, I think we should be bottling it up and selling it to international markets so our fellow humans can, can have a drink. If it's uh, drinkable, we don't... Well, actually, there's a lot to say about that, Connor. We might uh, follow that up uh, tomorrow, actually. Uh, should we uh, export some bottled water overseas? Well, your thoughts on that. Connor English and Verity Johnson with me this afternoon. Stay with us, the panel, right here, just after four.